it's in part about memory. It's in part about uh, the lost moments. It's in part about missing information and missing uh, moments that, you know, maybe there's a, a little bit of peace in watching the, the water lap the shore or listening to the crows flap around in the trees. Even watching the train pass by and listening to the rumble on the tracks. Jackstraw resident artist Andy Burley is an artist in constant evolution. His installation, Luminous Soundscape, asks us to consider some profound questions about the relationship between light and sound. Andy talked about his work with arts interviewer Steve Rowland. I grew up uh, about 20 minutes north of Boston. I loved tinkering a lot when I was a kid. And I don't know, that took form artistically, but I think that I was more interested in being like a scientist when I was a kid and exploring the woods near where I grew up and the ocean and getting a sense of, uh, of how things worked was always really interesting to me. So yeah, I pursued that through high school and as I got towards my second semester in physics and chemistry, I realized that, uh, that science wasn't for me, that it was a little too complicated. My brain didn't work that way. I understand things, and I guess always did, but started to understand then that I kind of get stuff by working with my hands in one way or another. And so, yeah, that started to develop sometime in high school. And, uh, and I got involved in... Uh, theater in high school, and I did the tech side of uh, theater, so working in sound engineering and lighting design. And uh, I think that that carries through to what I've been getting back to, I guess, in the last five years or so with some of these projects like what I have here at Jack Straw now. Mm -hmm. Now, your family, what did what, your folks do? Uh, my father worked 40 years for the IRS, and uh, my mother was a librarian, and my mother was the one that really introduced us to the world of art. Um, oh. And so we would go into Boston and go to the Museum of Fine Arts and, you know, see the, the great stuff like the Monets. And uh, I remember seeing some sort of Da Vinci show when I was a little kid and really loved seeing the, the mummies, the Egyptian mummies that were uh, down in the basement there and kind of time traveling uh, through the museum was always an interesting thing as a kid. So you've always sort of been on this uh, intersection between art and science. I think so. I don't know that I ever really put it all together until maybe the last few years or so. Um, after college, I went to grad school and focused in sculpture, and my background there was as a uh, cast bronze artist. And so I would did a lot of object making and kind of through the years, uh, through grad school, and I started to not be as interested in objects as much as I was in building environments. What is, explain to us what that means exactly to you, the movement from objects to environments. So I guess I was really interested in the materiality of objects when I first started making them and taking something that would be impermanent like leaves or branches or root balls from bamboo shoots 
and casting those into bronze and having them kind of transcend time uh, because now basically they'll last long after we are all gone and uh, as representations of the original. And I was really interested in that. And I think at some point I started to try and build small environments to put the objects into. In your mind, how do you explain this to yourself? Uh, is the artist a person who has these kind of what we consider traditional artistic talents? Oh, yeah, he can draw well, or he can build something well, or he can make a flower look like a flower. Or having just these sort of like wild ideas that don't really need those particular skills, but just it's really the execution and the realization of the idea. The more and more that we're getting into the digital age too, I think the more that like the craftsmanship aspect of art making is becoming less and less uh, necessary. I mean, you could design a beautiful sculpture on the computer and then have it printed up on the other side of the planet without ever actually having touched it with your own hand, right? And and realize something on a screen that becomes three dimensions and yeah, could be printed up by anybody at any given point if they have the devices to do it. Uh, but getting back to kind of the thought of just chasing down crazy ideas without needing to necessarily have the skills to make them, I, I think that that's really freeing. I think that a lot of people might be nervous to, to branch out into something that they weren't comfortable working in. And, uh, and I, I get really excited about here's the excuse that I have to finally learn about this thing that I don't know how to do. And with that comes some freedom in not being restrained by what you know you're not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to use the saw like this. Well, if you don't know to not use the saw like that, maybe you're going to come up with a really neat texture. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know not to use the welder in a certain way, uh, well, maybe it ends up being this new weird thing that happens, and, uh, and that informs the next idea and the next. Let's talk a little about this intersection between art and science mm -hmm. and your role as an artist trying to get people to kind of see the physical or the, the, the world around them. So I want to start by asking about one of the things that I heard you talk about in your, I think it was in your TEDx talk, is this idea that we walk through every day an ocean of waves. Yeah, so if we wanted to think about it just in terms of sound, you know, sound is just a series of waves vibrating throughout the air and they hit our ear where our brain can turn it into something that we recognize and there's so much of it that what I'm learning right now through the recording process is that the microphone picks up every noise and our ears pick up the same noises, but our brains are this magnificent filter that gets rid of a vast majority of the noise so that we don't get cluttered by it all. And we only end up hearing like a handful of things, but there are hundreds of things making noise around us. And so there are all these wavelengths bouncing off all of these things, every wall and every street floor, ceiling, and echoing all throughout every room and every space on the planet. Really, there's this ocean of these waves, and we can't see any of them, and we only experience the ones that fall within the range that our ears can hear and our brains can make sense of. But there's a vast world of 
waves that we can't hear that are also bouncing around the same room that we're in. It's really interesting to me that we can't experience so much of the world that's right around us in that way. Um, and so with this project, I'm, I'm hoping to think about it at least a little bit more and maybe find an interesting way to, to see some of those, those waves and, uh, and bring form to uh, this world that we live in that is invisible around us. Now, does, does, there's another level of invisibility that interests me, and I'm wondering if it's part of your thought process also, which is the invisibility of things that are really tiny yeah. And then also the things that are really humongous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, scale is uh, it's a pretty interesting concept, right? That uh, uh, there's a universe in our fingertip and we are uh, huge in comparison to that, but tiny and minuscule in the grand scheme of even our planet, not even to think about our solar system. And uh, that we're, what, I think that I saw that you could fit a million Earths into the sun. Like, I'm not quite sure how to make sense of how big that is, right? So that, I think that's a really interesting thought and that, and wavelengths are, are very similar to that, that we have these very small wavelengths that we can hear and then there are huge wavelengths that, that encompass the distance between us and Jupiter or beyond that. Uh, and that also is sound and noise. It's just we can't make any sense of it. We don't hear it. Uh, yeah, I think that those that those are really interesting things to to consider, and then to try and think about what does that mean for how we experience what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your the piece that you're doing now, the name of it is Luminous Soundscape, and you're working with video, audio with projectors, with computers, with, I don't know what you would call them, transducers that <laughs> that take sound and change it into vibrations and then the vibrations get sent back into water and then reimagined through a light projector. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> and it all sounds very complicated. And to so, a certain extent it is. Uh, but the effect that it creates, I think, is is rather simple and and minimalist. Um, so yeah, the the basic of the de- of the devices, as I like to call them, that I've been making is that I took video and sound footage from different places around Seattle, different moments in the city, mostly moments that we don't pay any attention to on any given day, but we experience hundreds, maybe thousands of times a day. Cars passing by, people walking by uh, on the sidewalk, um, the sound of water lapping the shoreline if you're down by the water, or the sound of crows flapping around in the trees. All these things that maybe you kind of uh, peripherally experience but don't ever stop to really think about. But they're the majority of the moments of our life, which is really interesting, but they all get lost to the ones that are really important, that are different from everything. And so inside of these devices that I've made, uh, a small screen plays that video footage and a speaker plays the audio. And what it also does is the audio is 
sent through a special little computer filter and translates the sound file into um, something that creates vibration in a motor. And that motor aggravates some water. And when I project light through that moving water, it projects the movement on light and shadow onto the gallery walls. So in an end-around way, what we're seeing is a physical representation of the vibrations of the sound in light. Okay, so let me ask you this. When you walk in the room, for me, one of the first things that you notice is that it's asymmetrical. Okay. That the... the uh, instruments or what did you call them? The, the devices. The devices. The <laughs> devices are on one side yeah. and the projections are on the wall opposite them. And yep. we stand kind of in between them. Yeah. And right. yeah, and we get we can interrupt the light and the light can be projected onto us and mm -hmm. those textures and sounds. And then what's left on the wall behind where we stand is our shadow and the the lack of light. And I think that's a really interesting reversal of the process of getting sound to be light is that the light isn't going to just reflect off of me and scatter throughout the room. Uh, like the sound may bounce off of me, and uh, but the light won't. The light stops at me, right? And then my shadow and my person becomes involved in this space. And it's not just about seeing the spots of light on the wall. It's about moving through all these different colors of light and all these different textures and becoming a part of the experience for yourself and for anybody else that's in the room. So when you enter the room, there's four walls like most rooms have. One of them uh, has the devices kind of intermittently placed uh, in front of the wall and aiming at the other three walls. And uh, so each spotlight that comes out of each device, um, depending on how close it is to the wall and what angle it's shining at, will be maybe a little oblong, egg-shaped, or a little dimmer because it's further away, or larger because it's further away. And the six spotlights all kind of intersect with one other spotlight. So there's this other thing that happens to me that's really interesting. You go in there and, first of all, you're not really sure where your attention is because the devices are so interesting looking. So you look at them and then they got these big mirrors on the top with these lights blinding out of them. So you can look into the mirror and just sort of see a blast of the color. Mm -hmm. I, I, I find it very beautiful and I find it very interesting. And even now, just thinking about what I saw mm -hmm. in there and this asymmetry of these two halves of the room representing something powerful to me. Yeah. It's really interesting to see my work through somebody else's eyes and to get to have this conversation. Uh, this is the first time that I'm seeing the project all together and seeing how all of the different devices are interacting with one another and creating the space and, uh, and it being really kind of fresh and new experience to me. I, I hadn't thought about it in the way that you are seeing it, which I think is really interesting. And that's something that I, I'm excited to get back into the gallery and kind of see it again with that in mind. Well, I found that part of it very powerful. I thought that was, ooh, this is really, this is a really interesting transformation. Are there things that you're 
kind of hoping people will see or feel in experiencing this artwork? Yeah. I, I really hope that people uh, will kind of pay attention to the things that we don't ever pay attention to, even just for the time that they're in the gallery or for the time that they're walking to their car or to the bus station after the show, uh, to kind of hear their footsteps as they walk down the street and remember that our experience of the world is so very limited and we take most of what we experience in this world for granted and we dismiss most of it. Well, there's another aspect to it that comes to my mind, which is that as we go through our lives, and this may be exactly what you're talking about, I'm not sure, uh, that as we go through our lives, we're confronted with a whole series of mundane events. Things pile up that don't seem to matter. Yeah. And then almost on the inside, the way that we process things becomes our kind of either our intellectual experience or our emotional experience or our spiritual experience of just being. Of yes. like this is what existence is like. It's in part about memory. It's in part about uh, the lost moments. It's in part about missing information and missing uh, moments that, you know, maybe there's a, a little bit of peace in watching the the water lap the shore or listening to the crows flap around in the trees, even watching the train pass by and listening to the rumble on the tracks. There's, there's a little bit of peace in all those moments, in the sound and the stuck, that moment of being stuck at the train tracks. And what, what do you do with that moment? It's completely gone, right? Like, oh, what happened in that three minutes that I was waiting for the train to pass? Nothing, and I have no memory of even being at the train stop, right? Uh, but that's three minutes that you got. That's three minutes of your day. That's might be three minutes of your every day. And there's something to get out of it. Maybe not everything to get out of it, but there's something to get out of it. There's something to get out of all those moments, of all those lost moments, and watching the feet of everybody walk by and... I don't know what that is that is for each person. I don't even know what it necessarily is for me, but there's something in that time uh, that I want to uh, be more aware of and giving somebody that experience to, to take from it what, what it is for them, uh, opposed to uh, me maybe trying to uh, jam all these thoughts into their into their experience, into their mind, uh, and say, this is, this is what this is, this is what this means. Uh, here, here are these textures, here are these sounds, here are these moments. And maybe they resonate as a whole, all together for somebody. Maybe there's small moments within uh, one video and uh, one sound or one vibration on the wall in light that, uh, that's theirs. It's, for me to put in front of them and, and for them to take away. Andy Burley's installation, Luminous Soundscape, 
was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer is Steve Rowland. Produced by Steve Rowland, Daniel Gunther, Levi Fuller, and Ayesha Ubiyatilaka. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors.